Well, again, welcome. I, I know uh, Benjamin had family here, and I see some uh, other relatives and friends that I know of here, but it's, it's great to see faces that we don't know every week. And um, if you are visiting, we are this summer in a sermon series on the book of Joshua. This is an Old Testament book. It comes after the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then uh, that's kind of the line where folks leave the wilderness and they come into the promised land. So Joshua is really the coming into and then the inhabiting of the, the promised land. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 6 this morning. If you don't have a Bible, uh, the text is there in the bulletin. I have a little bit of a longer text. We're going to read together. When I was pretty young, single digits I would say, my family was visiting some relatives in Dallas and um, they had a child there, these relatives. You, you know relatives where you don't know how they're related? You just know, like your parents said, those are your relatives. And you, okay. Like, that's, those are your kinfolk. These were our kinfolk in Dallas. And um, so I, I think I was about eight or nine years old, and I had a yo-yo. Because this was the 70s, which was an intense yo-yo period in American culture. So I had my yo-yo, and um, I walked up to a little boy who I think was about... Three, my, my kin. And uh, I had my yo-yo, and I said, watch this. And uh, you, I don't even know what you call it, but the thing where you, where you do the yo-yo down, it just kind of hovers and then flies back up the string. That was, that's what I was working. If you know what you're doing, walk the dog, walk the dog. Thank you. Well, I feel like my work here is done. Let's close in prayer. And uh, now, so I did the, did the walk the dog, and... Um, did my wrist down, yo-yo, you know, just kind of hovered about four inches over the ground and then flew back up. And this little boy looked at it and then just went, ah! <laughs> it, it, I mean, the response was so disproportionate. And I realized what happened was, he's three. Every object he's ever seen start going down, kept going. You know, until it hit the floor or the ground. It just, it kept going. This was the first time an object hovered and reversed. And he flipped out. And, it, it, I mean, pretty quickly we all realized that's what had gone on in his little mind. But it, that makes sense because we, we want our world to make sense. And given what he, given all his prior observations, that did not make sense. And it just was upsetting. And that's just, that's who we are. We want the world to make sense. And it's funny, I, you know, I had not prepped necessarily Mike to, to, to make this connection. But uh, I, mean, I mentioned to you what I was preaching about. But it was interesting, even as he was praying, he was talking about God doing things, much of which we don't understand. Much of which doesn't make sense to us. You know, life and health and productivity, and having a job, and having money, and sort of hitting on all cylinders. That makes sense to us, that that's how you get the most done and have the most impact. But loss, and pain, and death, and confusion do not make sense. And he uses it all the time. And that's in the Bible all the time. And so what I want to look at is this text about uh, the overthrow of Jericho. This is a busy chapter. You know, there's marching and the blowing of horns and there's shouting and there's invasion and there's destruction. 
what are we learning about the actions of God's people as we're watching them act? And in the way that God wanted this recorded, what are we learning about, as God's people, our actions? Now, let me say this. This is a long text, but one of the things in the New Testament that the Apostle Paul said to a young pastor, Timothy, he said, I want you to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. It is ancient and good Christian practice in worship to hear a big chunk of Scripture together. So give your careful attention to the reading of God's Word, Joshua chapter 6. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. On the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. So Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward. March around the city and let the armed men pass on before the ark of the Lord. And just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets, with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following them. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets, and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, You shall not shout... Or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about at once. And they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. And the seven priests, bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord, walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark of the Lord, while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day they marched around the city once, and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. On the seventh day they rose early, at the dawn of day, and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live, because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you, keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction." And bring trouble upon it. But all silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell down flat, so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. 
Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys with the edge of the sword. But to the two men who had spied out the land, Joshua said, Go into the prostitute's house and bring out from there the woman and all who belonged to her, as you swore to her. So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and mother and brothers and all who belonged to her. And they brought all her relatives and put them outside the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and everything in it, only the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and of iron they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. And she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Joshua laid an oath on them at that time saying, Cursed before the Lord be the man who rises up and rebuilds this city, Jericho. At the cost of his firstborn shall he lay its foundation. And at the cost of his youngest son shall he set up its gates. So the Lord was with Joshua. And his fame was in all the land. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, no matter how uh, refreshed we might be or how much biblical background we might have, we need your help every moment to worship you. We need your help every moment to connect the dots from this ancient account to even our own selves. And, O Lord, it's not that this time is all about us, but we do need you to do us good, and we need your word. So please help us to hear you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me say this before we get into this text, because I, uh, I I need to acknowledge this and not just wait. I know that a huge issue that this puts on the table is just this issue of God commanding His people, uh, commanding His people to go into the promised land and exterminate entire groups of people. And, I mean, it just really brings up a host of issues. Now, we've broached that now that the Israelites have gone in and they just wipe out the people of Jericho. What I want to do is to broach that topic next week. So, I'm not trying to do that as a teaser, but just uh, I'm able to do what I'm able to do today, and then I want to have time to prepare this week to look at that next week. So if you're able to come back, or if you can't be here, can listen to it online, uh, I, Lord willing, I want to broach that topic next week about why would God have His people exterminate other people. Very important. But for our purposes, again, this is, it's a very busy chapter. You know, marching, shouting, blowing the horn, uh, invading, following, all that. The, God's people are doing a lot in this chapter. What I'd like us to look at is just what God is showing us about the nature of our actions. What are we learning through them about what the actions of God's people are? And I want to look at a couple of things. The strangeness of the actions and the merit of the actions. Okay? The strangeness of the action and the merit of the actions. First off, the strangeness. I feel like after that long a reading, I don't have to unpack that a lot. Okay? Mission. Overthrow Jericho. 
methodology, walk around it for a week, and blow horns. And the thing is, this, this, there's nothing in this text that sends any cue of this being fictional or mythic. Nothing. It's recorded as actual fact. It's recorded as historical narrative. Here's the historical narrative. The instructions from God are, here's what you'll do. There'll be an advanced guard of soldiers. There'll be priests. There'll be seven priests. Each of them will have a ram's horn. You know, that's sort of the kind of Lord of the Rings, you know, elf horn. Um, They will blow the horn. And not just one blast. It kept saying that adverb continually. Then there'll be the Ark of the Covenant, the people, and then the rear guard. So for six days, go in the morning, go around the city and do that. Do not yell. In fact, don't say anything. Walk around and then go back to the camp. Which is so, it's almost like psych ops or something. It's, it's so odd, but, it, but not necessarily threatening except that it seems confident on their part to do that. They do that for six days, and then at God's instruction, on the seventh day, they wake up at dawn. Do what you've been doing all week. Do it seven times. The seven. For those of you who are here for the study on Revelation, any doubt you had that God loves sevens, that the Bible loves sevens, seventh day, seven times around, the seven priests with the seven horns go around, and then after that, Israelites shout at it. And he told them ahead of time. He didn't just say, shout at it, and then watch what I do. He says, when you shout at it, the walls will fall flat. And the account is, they did, and it did. Now, that is weird. I'm not saying that to be funny, but I just, I feel like I can't comment on it without saying, it's so strange. If it's not strange to you, that tells me you have a church background. You know, that maybe you grew up and there were flannel boards of Jericho and like detachable walls that they were turned down. You go like, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world. It does not make sense. <laughs> through the shouts of people, through the, through, through the processing and the shouts, um, the walls came down. Here's the question. What knocked the wall of Jericho flat? Did the shout knock the wall of Jericho flat? Did the Israelites knock the wall of Jericho flat? The hand of the Lord knocked the wall of Jericho flat. Through what or through whom did the hand of the Lord act? Through, not dependent upon, but through His people doing, again, not to be irreverent, a strange action that God requested them to do. In fact, it's so strange, it seems to highlight what? That they're not the ones who did it. That He did it. And again, it was not a foregone conclusion that they could win this battle. Did you catch in verse 2? Because it may, if you're used to this story, you might almost feel like, yeah, it was a given. Look in verse 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I've given Jericho into your hand with its king, and what else? Mighty men of valor. There were men in that city that knew how to hold their position and fight. And they weren't scared to do it. It was not a foregone conclusion. Now think about this. 
Think about how that dynamic is still at work in the lives of God's people. That God, even today, God calls His people to do things. And He accomplishes things through their actions. But is it God's people who actually do it? No. It's the Lord who does it. And He works through means that don't necessarily visibly make sense. I mean, think about this one. And this is something that we don't talk about a lot. And it's not that Scripture talks about it a ton, but it certainly talks about it some. It even shows up in some important passages like the Sermon on the Mount. Think about fasting. Think about how, again, not to be irreverent, strange. Think about how weird it is for a follower of the Lord, specifically a follower of Jesus Christ, to say, I want to be fulfilled. Just even think about that word, fulfilled. I want to be filled full. How will I be filled full? I won't eat. And I'll give that energy and that time to prayer. Because, okay, at that point, here's the question. And I think this could be a a good diagnostic question for us. Are we doing anything in our lives that would make absolutely no, no sense to a very moral person? Because a lot of what we're doing as Christians would make a ton of sense to moral people. Like if you're trying to get up and do your work and be productive and meet your commitments and have some money so you can share with others, and if you volunteer, if you're trying to be a good friend to your friends if you're trying to be somebody that other people can live with, you know, a roommate or a spouse or or sibling or whatever, if you're doing those things, like that's kind of the meat and potatoes of our day, those are great things. Scripture calls us to those things, but a moral person, just a moral person, could look at that and go, absolutely, I'm all for those things. I mean, I hope you do those things. You're the glue of our culture if you do those things. But are we doing anything that a moral person would look at and go, why are you doing that? I mean, if I mean, you're not supposed to tell people you're fasting, but let's say you got discovered, okay? You were found out. And someone asked you, well, so are you doing that, like, are you doing a cleanse? You know, or do you have like a high school reunion coming up and you're just trying to like really... You say, no, uh, I'm doing it to find fulfillment in the Lord, that's weird. And that is a means through which God works. Does the fulfillment come from the act of fasting? I guarantee you no. Your stomach will growl and you'll feel irritable and your breath will reek. And through that means, the hand of the Lord works. Um, I, I'll tell you one that I've seen. I, I just I, I feel like I keep seeing this, especially in the lives of some of our parents in the church, where there'll be a child, and a parent is just at the end of his or her rope, or both parents at the end of their rope, and they've had their hands on it, and, and like that might mean like lectures, or this penalty, or send them off to that expert, or whatever. And here's the thing: discipline, biblically, good thing. Uh, Parents who talk to you and instruct you, good thing. 
folks who are trained to, to help us in tough times of life, whether that's a school counselor or a therapist, that can be all great stuff. All great stuff. But it's just uncanny how I've heard parent after parent say, you know what, I finally realized that this, this thing between me and my child, I had to take my hands off it and go into my room and shut the door and in secret get on my knees and say, I cannot change this. I can't change them. I can't change me. Please have mercy on us. I'm taking my hands off it. And just over and over and over, not like it, it's not like it's a gumball machine, put a penny in and that'll happen, but over and over and over, I've heard people say, that was the means when I began to see change. And that's weird. It didn't come through my instruction. It didn't come through my rule setting. It didn't come through my parameters. It didn't come through this expert or that therapist. It came when I went into a room in secret and talked to God. That's weird. God still works that way. Is there anything in our lives that an extremely moral person could look at that and say, that makes no sense to me? Because, lest this go unsaid, what would be the ultimate example? The ultimate example would be to walk up to a first century implement of execution and say, this is my hope. And we just sang a hymn saying, that's what we've got to do. To walk up to a first century implement of execution and say, my work is not my identity. My family and friends are not my identity. My abilities and strength are not my identity. The way people perceive me is not my identity. My body image, my times, my goals, my discipline is not my identity. This is my identity is a weird thing to do. It is our only hope. Are we saved because we had the inclination to go up there and do that. God has to give that to you. He's the one, the, the hand of the Lord has to do that too, but He works through means. Strangeness of actions. The second thing is this, um, the merit of actions. The merit of actions. Look again at verse 2. It's, it's just very significant that this is at the beginning of the narrative. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. Now note the pronouns. I have given Jericho into your hands. When this is over, Jericho will be in your hands. Because of whom? Because of me. Verse 16 echoed. At the seventh time when the priest had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, Shout for who? The Lord has given you the city. Now, the issue is not who did it. The text makes it clear. The Lord did it. But here's the question. Why? The thing that the Israelites needed God to do, He did. The thing they needed Him to do through their actions, He did through their actions. Why? Now, this is a part where we've got to back up out of Joshua to the prior book because God says, when you do this, 
Don't get drunk on your success. Because it might be intoxicating. It might be intoxicating when you start beating armies that you shouldn't be able to beat. When you start getting stuff that you shouldn't naturally have. And here's what's going to happen. Something's going to happen inside of you that you're going to think, oh, I know why that's happening. I know why we're beating these armies. Now, let me, let me read two passages from Deuteronomy. That's the book right before Joshua. And listen to this. Know therefore today that he who goes over before you as a consuming fire is the Lord your God. He will destroy them and subdue them before you. He'll do it for you. So you shall drive them out and make them perish quickly as the Lord has, has promised. All right? Same dynamic. I'll do it. You'll get the credit. And get this. Do not say in your heart after the Lord your God has thrust them out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess the land. Next verse. Not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess the land, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out from before you. Next verse. Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stubborn people. He seems to be saying, it's not because of your righteousness. (laughs) So then what is it? Now, I've actually preached on this, but, man, if you don't believe the Gospels in the Old Testament... When I say the gospel, do you know, I mean the good news. The good news, hope for sinners. If you don't believe that's in the Old Testament, listen to this. And this is prior to what I just read. This is two chapters back in Deuteronomy 7. And I'm going to tell you ahead of time, it's beautiful and it's frustrating. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for His treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. Did He answer the question? Why are you getting this land? It's not because you're big shots. It's not because you're big and it's not because you're important. It's because because the Lord loves you. Why does He love us? Because the Lord loves you. Why? Because He loves you. If you don't understand that dynamic, it's going to mess up your understanding of what good works are in the Christian life for the rest of your life. Did that wall fall over because they needed to prove that God should love them? It fell over because He already loved them and He told them, that's how I'm going to work, so do that. That's why the wall fell. I already love you. Because I love you, I want you to trust me and do the weird thing, and that's what I'm going to work through. I'm thinking about this with Benjamin's baptism. Multiple people were involved in your life. You were hearing this gospel kind of from multiple directions. Should any of those people feel that, wow, it's because, it's because I was obeying God that Benjamin was converted? 
It's because God loved them that he was pleased for them to act and for him to work through their actions. But he saved Benjamin like he saved anyone in here. If you lead someone to Christ and that person comes to know Jesus Christ, if you, if you watch a non-Christian become a Christian, is it because of our righteousness? No. It's because the Lord loved us and worked through us. Why did He love us? Because He loves us. Uh, let me end with this. I've used this example before, but I actually found my visual aid. Blue painted rock, smiley face. I painted this when I was five, when I was in kindergarten in Jackson, Mississippi. From that time, this stayed on my dad's dresser until he died. It was a paperweight on my dad's dresser my whole life. Now, look at it. It is a little strange looking, first off. It's, you know, it's not gallery worthy, we could, we, we could say. But on its merits, is it good? No. On merit. He loved it. Why? Why did he love the actions? He loves me. That has got to get into our bones because if it doesn't, one of two things will happen. You'll either kill yourself to get God to love you and wonder, have I gotten good enough for Him to love me now? And so you're going to churn on your insides for the rest of your life because you'll never read your Bible enough. You'll never pray enough. You'll never share your faith enough. You'll never give enough money. Your language won't be clean enough. Your eyes will not stay pure enough. There's that. Or, or you'll feel like, well, you know what? If works don't save me, then I guess they don't have any value at all. If everything I do is tainted, why well, kill myself to try to obey God? I mean, Jesus, it's a beautiful thing. Why really work hard at obedience? And this is the beautiful biblical sweet spot is he gives his commandments for our good and they're not suggestions they're commandments he's commanding us to obey him why to earn his love because he loves us because he loves us it may be that this morning that there's something something in the Christian life that has been gnawing at you and you're holding it off because there's a strangeness to it. It's counterintuitive. Or it's awkward. It's going to lead to a strange interaction with someone else. It's strange. And I want to nudge you in love. If you're a follower of Christ, obey Him. Do that. And then take your hands off it and let Him work as He pleases. The last thing I'd say is this. If you're here this morning and you've never done that first strange thing of coming up to a cross and saying, 
I need this. My friends think I'm great. This was, this was your testimony. I think I'm great. My friends think I'm great. I need cleansing and redemption. Do the strange thing of going up to this cross, this Jesus, and saying, take me as I am, cleanse me, have mercy on me. Watch the hand of God work. Amen. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord God, that you were pleased to use the likes of us. The Israelites did not knock that wall down. You knocked it down. Anyone that we've been a blessing to, we didn't bless them. You blessed them. Father, just having heard what we've heard, we want to say it's not because of our righteousness. It can only be because of your love. We thank you for the the cross of Jesus, which is foolishness to the world, but is our glory. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.